Welcome to Vickers Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined with Dr. Aaron de Souza, who's going to start the Enhanced Games. Thanks so much for coming to the show. I would like to know your reasoning behind this and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you caught, came up to this idea of starting an Olympics uh, alternative without drug testing, because I'm intrigued and fascinated. Well, fundamentally, I've always believed in honesty. Uh, and one of the core challenges of the international sports world is that it's actually not honest. Uh, we have the Olympic Games where 44% of elite track and field athletes admit to using banned performance enhancing substances, yet only 1% get caught. At the same time, we have an elite bureaucracy that runs the International Olympic Committee who are flying around the world in private jets. They're living in palaces, they're being paid huge salaries while the athletes earn literally nothing. And it's a system of exploitation that has a dishonest lie at its core. And I thought to myself, there's a real opportunity here to build something better for the athletes, for the fans, and for science. And you know, if we can have an event that really showcases what humanity, not just an individual human being, but the total sum of humanity um, is possible, uh, then we can really create something truly amazing. All right. Right. I, I think it's absolutely great that you're willing to start this because I'm sure you've gotten a lot of pushback over the last couple of months after since announcing the Enhanced Games. I mean, when I first uh, heard about the Enhanced Games through some of my subscribers, I uh, started researching on Google and every news article was just, I mean, in a negative context, like it's never going to happen. There, He's going to go against the IOC and then he's going to get banned. And I mean, all kinds of negativity. And I think it's it's very fascinating to see that you just keep going and keep going. And now you get some positive media exposure through channels like myself and Mark Bell. And now the bodybuilding community is absolutely fascinated and intrigued by this event because, you know, bodybuilding, um, of course, there's a little segment of bodybuilding will doubt to use of performance enhancing drugs, but the large majority of the people in bodybuilding, they use performance enhancing drugs. And we have events that are non-tested. And those are the biggest events like the IFBB Mr. Olympia, used to have a little bit of diuretic testing, which they got uh, rid of because, I mean, it wasn't really performed properly. And uh, besides the world championships, which probably has the same issues as the IOC regarding corruption and uh, drug testing. <laughs> and trust me, I've coached many people in the world championships in all federations that host the world championships. So, so we're very familiar with this aspect, but in the Olympics, it's not really there. So going forward, I believe that your first event is going to be in December of 2024. So we're about uh, a one year and three months out to this first event. What, do you, what can we expect when this is going to take place? Well, first and foremost, uh, athletes can expect open qualification. So one of the core challenges of the Olympic apparatus is that you have to uh, work through your national sports federations, your national Olympic committees, and play politics. So athletes who get to the Olympics are good athletes, but they're also great politicians because they have to navigate this extraordinary bureaucratic structure. And instead, we're going to be a lot more like the CrossFit Games, where if you want to come and run the 100 meter at the Enhanced Games, all you have to do is upload a video to your YouTube channel or to your uh, Instagram of you running on a treadmill at the gym. Uh, and proving that you can uh, do a reasonable time. Then we'll give you a small travel subsidy to come to a regional qualifier. And if you can prove you do that in real life, you'll get an appearance fee, thousands of dollars, to come to the first games. And if you win, there will be a multi-million dollar prize pool available for wow. athletes who win medals, and in particular, break world records. Wow, that's great. And of course, you're going to compare the world records to the ones that are currently standing, or are you going to have your own world record setting uh, parameters and websites where people can track this because this is without drug testing in place and basically anything goes assuming that the athlete stays healthy right? because this is of course that's right you know one of the most prominent things that they mention in the news articles the athletes need to stay healthy and with doping in place all the athletes are going to die when in reality well that, 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 that's in fact not true because yeah, I know. we are developing clinical protocols so that our, our games will be the safest sporting event in history. Why is that? Because the drug testing regimes are designed to test for cheating. They're not designed to test for safety. And if we were truly trying to solve for athlete safety, which is what we are doing at the Enhanced Games, well then um, the Olympics would implement clinical protocols like we are doing. 
And the core of that is pre-competition screening. So blood work, EKGs, echocardiograms, maybe even MRIs. Um, and our scientific and clinical advisors are building um, this protocol at the moment so that when you come to, say, call it your weigh-in day where, you know, you get your bib number and your kit, you'll take a blood test, you'll get an echocardiogram, and we'll check if you have an enlarged heart. Oh. We'll check if you have any underlying cardiac conditions. And why doesn't the International Olympic Committee do this? Is because they're cheap, right? They don't want to spend the money to actually ensure the health of their athletes because that, you know, cuts into their bottom line, and they've got to pay for their limousines, private jets, and palaces somehow. Yeah, it's very common at the World Championships where a lot of the officials are just um, swimming in money, basically, because they use the federation to collect money from their governments, and they use the athletes, uh, they keep pushing them, right? But they don't really care about their health. Now, in some countries, they do check uh, for health parameters, maybe three months, six months before uh, going into a competition season, but that isn't always the case, or at least in the bodybuilding circuit. And it really depends on the country and how the federation stands in relation to their athletes. But it's pretty similar all across the board. Most of the officials have never really done something similar. That <laughs> they're they're, not, most of the officials aren't athletes. Like, exactly. Most yeah, of them start off as like, I'm, I'm, of some kid who is competing. I'm, right? I'm it's, it's a complete farce. right? Yeah. And you have these people who have just failed upwards year after year. And suddenly they're running sporting federations or the IOC, which sort of almost behaves like a nation state. And they're in charge of billions of dollars and it's being wasted left, right, and center. And at the same time, we have the athletes of the world who are living in poverty. Let's me, let me give you an example. Usain Bolt, who might be the greatest specimen of our species of all time, mm -hmm. in his entire career has only earned about $12 million. Uh, we know this because he got scammed out of that money by his financial manager and it's the subject of a court case. So he has made less money than a thoroughbred racing horse, an okay thoroughbred racing horse. <laughs> and what, what does that say about our, our, our species uh, and, and what we have allowed to fester when we have known for 50 years that the Olympics are broken and that they are corrupt? And it is just so unfortunate. And it's not due to a lack of audience, right? You know, the, the Summer Olympics are the most watched sporting event in the world. Um, they generate $8 billion in commercial revenues. Yet somehow the IOC can't find a cent of money to pay these athletes to ensure their health. And so, you know what? We're going to create a better system from the ground up. Mm -hmm. now, and I would really like to see that because if you're you know, producing this event for the athletes, then I'm sure a lot of people or some people that already failed the doping tests for the Olympics or other sports, uh, other federations, they're going to come forward. And otherwise, you can simply go to Wikipedia and see all of the athletes that failed because... Unfortunately, this kind of information is just publicly available and it, it really doesn't look good on the athlete, of course, but you could, you know, find an entire pool of athletes that failed the doping test in very various years and simply oh, reach I, I, out. I, we have literally had hundreds of athletes reach out to us since we've launched. Uh -huh. um, I, I, I've, I've had uh, half a dozen Olympians who are on my athletes commission. We have, and in addition, we have some of the world's top clinicians and scientists, including people like George Church from Harvard University, who sit on our scientific and ethical advisory commission. And so we are supported by athletes, by scientists, but also by leading venture capital funds. We have the financial resources to make this possible and to create a whole new system of sport where we can ensure athletes are rewarded fairly and, and that the system is designed to ensure the best outcomes for, for athletes, but also to create something that is entertaining, invigorating, and exciting. Now, the world has lost interest in the Olympics. The number of television viewers has declined for 20 years, right? Oh, and yeah. cities don't want to host the games anymore, right? It, it's, it, it's a white elephant. And, um, you know, you might not be aware of, but the Commonwealth Games, which is sort of the British version of the Olympics for the old empire, you know, the Australian government canceled the contract to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games because it was originally billed at a billion and a half dollars and then went over budget to like seven billion. So they just pulled the plug on it. And now the Commonwealth Games is dead. And the Olympics has gone over budget every time by tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. And no one seems to care. The taxpayer of Athens or Rio or Beijing or Brisbane or Sydney is just being abused. And mm. we need to bring this system to an end. 
And it, it's very simple, uh, similar to World Championships. So they use these drug testing, um, you know, things in place to kind of legitimize these events from taking place, showing that it's quote unquote clean and healthy, right? And all falls within the parameters, even though most of the athletes still take some performance enhancing drugs or just try to circumvent the drug testing. But they use this drug testing to legitimize it in the eyes of the governments who participate and then put up funds for the athletes travel expenses for the coaching the entire national team and also pay a little bit of tribute but, but, but this is actually yeah. a poor decision on the part of it government is, it is yeah, let, why? Let, let me let me continue because this is this is where all the corruption comes from by getting these governments mm -hmm. involved and these national teams involved because the people who run the national teams they're so corrupt and they use some of this uh, government sponsored money in the eyes of legitimacy um, to pay for certain athletes to win, to give gifts to mm -hmm. higher ranking officials yeah. to circumnavigate, uh, circumnavigate particular aspects of the sport. And, and this is why I got such, you know, so tired of coaching athletes at the world championships, because it doesn't matter how good you are. I mean, bodybuilding is like an opinion based sport. And these opinions mm -hmm. can sway. It's it's not like you stepped over the finish line, uh, you know, a microsecond faster than the, your next competition. No, it's it's very subjective. And in this subjectivity, and with the corruption on the back end, you see that fifth placed athletes uh, place first, and vice versa. So a lot of athletes are bullied mm -hmm. out of their national teams, and then being subject to drug testing when it's not even their time to do it so it's 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 very unfortunate and i'm sure the same thing goes on on the olympic level as well where you know making the national team is already a headache and then circum you know navigating through the entire olympics process is even more of a headache because some people get favors and some people do not and and, and just the list goes on of these kinds of issues taking place so you're that's take, right that's right right and you're you're taking this issue of countries and national teams completely out of it right so an athlete is an athlete they represent themselves and then they can participate. Yeah, and, and and we're not going to have sports federations. We're not going to have national Olympic committees. And these layers and layers of bureaucracy, an alphabet soup of regulatory and bureaucratic agencies that do nothing to serve the athlete. And all they do is to serve the bureaucrats who get paid huge salaries and create needless process and intermediation between the athlete and the spectator. Yeah. And so ultimately, we really need layers and layers of sports federations um, <clears throat> and officials? No, no. Of course, there's, there is some need for some officials and sort of things like timekeeping and rule setting so that we have a, a fair race. But ultimately, we don't need these layers of bureaucrats. And I want to burn that whole show down and return that revenue to where it's rightfully deserved to the athlete. Right. Yeah. Now, that's very commendable. And I, I would love to see it, it happen over the next couple of years. So your first event, again, is in December 2024. That's like a testing event. What can we expect from this event? And, and which, which sports are going to take place? So it's most likely to be an exhibition event mm -hmm. focused on track and field events. So, you know, I think 100 meter, 400 meter, mile, high jump, long jump. And, you know, what can you expect? You can see world records obliterated. Um, and um, who's going to want to watch? the old slow Olympics, when you can watch the fast, modern, enhanced games. Now, that, that's, that's very exciting. Uh, what are we going to do to kind of ensure the health of the athletes? Because now that we're taking the cap off without drug testing, um, you know, like, um, again, what I, mean, I saw before is that a lot of the news agencies says that it's going to be unhealthy, albeit that I know coaching many bodybuilders and athletes over the last couple of years that it's actually more unhealthy to try to beat the drug test with particular practices oh, yeah, than just run the compounds continuously. Um, so are there going to be doctors in place? I mean, you mentioned that you have several doctors on board to kind of guide with with um, health parameters and health screening before these uh, events take place. Yeah. And so so the number one thing is that athletes who, you know, go on to bodybuilding.com and then they order their steroids online and they inject themselves are doing something that's really unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take this whole process out of the dark alley and literally shine light upon it. And that light is clinical supervision. It's creating an environment where athletes feel comfortable to discuss this with their doctors. And our, our clinical screening protocols are designed around athlete safety, not eliminating um, cheating, right? That's mm -hmm. like fair sport is what 
WADA and the Olympics are concerned about. They're concerned about creating a level playing field, not for the health and the safety of the athletes. If they were truly, truly concerned about the safety of the athletes, um, they would allow um, good quality clinical supervision as what we're, we're doing. So number one, you will have to have a doctor uh, supervise you. And number two, um, as an athlete, you will have to um, meet our, our pre-screening protocols. And in, you know, if you have an enlarged heart or an underlying cardiac condition, then um, you, know, you, you may be excluded from competition or you may have to go through you know, more rigorous screening. And then that's one thing that we're working through with our insurers at the moment. So what I'm worried about, knowing the nature of athletes, is that some of them will have the experience mm -hmm. to kind of circumvent the drug testing, right? And test clean on the day of the competition or whenever a drug test is taking place. So what I'm worried about, knowing the athletes, are they going to circumnavigate the health screening by doing particular practices to keep their heart smaller? or their um, health parameters better, right? Which usually in bodybuilding, we kind of do all the time because we still would like to have an insurance, a health insurance, but our heart and our uh, blood work parameters and our body mass index yeah. doesn't um, kind of, you know, align with what the healthcare providers are willing to tolerate for healthcare uh, insurance. So, well, yeah, well, that, that, that's actually really interesting. That, and that's a point of scientific education mm -hmm. to the insurers and to the scientific community. And so if you look at the health parameters of a normal individual, right, and an average person is, you know, obese in America. They're not, they're not uh, healthy, yeah. Those aren't the parameters that we should be using. Right. Right, yeah, exactly. And so the parameters are those of an elite athlete. And we're specifically designing mm. our clinical protocols around what a healthy elite athlete looks like. And what is very exciting to the scientists who are involved in this project is a body of high quality uh, data on the elite athlete, right? So right now it's very hard to get genomics data on elite athletes, mm. get blood samples with the proper um, uh, patient consents to build that profile. And that's something that we have, um, you know, a huge advantage in. And this uh, will be a, a, an enduring competitive moat for us because fewer, few, if not any organizations have this wealth of data available to, uh, to them. Right, right. Because you're in touch with so many athletes and they're also willing to do all these um, health screening and, and blood work analysis and organ imaging and that kind of stuff, right? So, Basically, what you're saying, you should allow higher than the reference range of hematocrit, for example, and higher than the reference range of red blood cells or creatine phosphokinase or liver enzymes, for that matter, which can also elevate in strenuous events. So will you ever publicize those reference ranges? Because me as a bodybuilder would like to know this special reference range for athletes, because we're always fighting against this uh, clinical reference range that's established on general population. And we always have to fight with our doctors. Okay, uh, serum creatinine is a little bit elevated and uh, estimated columnar filtration rate is a little bit on the low side. So we check cystatin C and some other markers to assess if our kidney function is correct. And then most of the bodybuilders fight with their primary healthcare physician. Am I healthy or not unhealthy? And then I have to remind them of other tests for the kidneys, which the uh, you know, patient care coordinator doesn't even know about. So will you publicize something like that so athletes you know, the next one and a half years or one year and three months from now can kind of start leaning towards this blood work parameters that is going to be, uh, you know, used at the time of these events. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that will make the whole performance medicine and the performance therapies um, industry uh, more successful is open and transparent data. And so, we are not just hosting an event for athletes. It's also an event for scientists. You know, we're going to host large scientific conferences to bring the world together and to share this information in a really transparent way and create scholarly uh, journals. We're hosting the first conference on enhancements, which we'll be announcing shortly, but it's probably going to be early next year. And so that doctors and scientists can feel safe to talk about this in an open and public way, rather than sort of the strange underground of scientists um, and doctors at the moment. And the true problem is that the International Olympic Committee and the World Anti-Doping Authority are funding anti-science, anti-performance medicine mm. initiatives that prevent um, the, the full and open discourse about the real possibilities and the safe possibilities of performance medicine. And the funny thing is that over the last couple of years, ever since hormone replacement therapy and anti-aging clinics started coming, uh, you know, more prominent all over the world, especially in America and some places in Europe, here in Asia, 
um, that the science sometimes is very negative when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, right? And really uh, hammers mm -hmm. on the potential negative health ramifications. Again, potential without clinical supervision and, and intervention to make sure that the health is sustained. And then in other aspects, um, you see so many um, improvements in the outcome of life, quality of life, longevity, um, mm -hmm. recovery of organ strain, which was coming from, um, you know, poor lifestyle choices, for example. And it's very funny to see that a lot of the practices that athletes have been doing over the last couple of decades are now slowly phasing into general population and becoming available through anti-aging clinics. It's, it's stuff that I, we've absolutely. always I, done already. And the way... The way the way I would analogize it is the use of cosmetic surgery in Hollywood. Mm. Think about like Botox. 20 years ago, Botox was this weird thing that only crazy celebrities could get in Rodeo Drive. It was like really expensive. It was unknown. It was risky. But because of the large uses of it, the uh, transparent data, the clinical supervision, and that feedback loop of more patients, more data, more clinical supervision, higher quality products. Now we see Botox and um, you know uh, cosmetic medicine uh, used everywhere. And uh, you know I think on an analogous level, like Hollywood is a very competitive place, right? Where people will go to any lengths to become famous. Um, yet you know we don't see an epidemic of actresses dying from using too much cosmetic surgery, <laughs> right? Um, and and I think this is the the parallel for us, and that in a very similar way, we can create a safe environment for the use of performance medicine among athletes. And then when we break the hundred meter world record late next year, the first thing that the millions of people watching are going to say is, "What was he on, and how can I get it?" Yeah, right. And we're going to create a revolution in anti-aging and performance medicine. And to go back to your point about governments, governments should be funding anti-aging and performance medicine research. It should be foremost because we have an aging population problem in the West. We have a Medicare, we have a Medicaid, we have an NHS, we have a pensions problem. And if we can just make our population stronger and younger and healthier for longer, we will drive increases in productivity that will 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 create a renaissance and mm -hmm. what is the back of this well the the core of it and the foundation of this is the scientific research that is being pioneered by people like yourself and needs to be taken out of the dark alley and be showcased to the world so it can be shown that it can be done safely and efficaciously and at low cost and then it can fundamentally improve the human condition and that's one of the most fundamental reasons why I have dedicated my life to bringing the enhanced games to life. No, I think that's absolutely fantastic. What I would like to see, if, if possible, is some sort of clinical study when the showcase event is going to take place in December. And that way you can kind of track the longitudinal data of these athletes, uh, maybe leading into the competition. And then of course, on the competition, if you do the blood work and the MRIs, echocardiograms and other uh, metrics to kind of, uh, you know, look where their health parameters are at, if you can put that into a clinical study and then eventually get that uh, publicized, right, on PubMed or some of the other mm -hmm. publication platforms after it passes peer review, I think that will give concrete evidence that these performance enhancing drugs can be used safely, uh, assuming that everybody's using the similar performance enhancing drugs, which again, the list is not that extensive on what you can use in track and field. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that is going to break some, um, you, know, you know, preconceptions <laughs> about you know, the safety yeah. of PEDs, because, I mean, again, we can take the bodybuilding space as an example where a lot of people are now open, right? It, it, maybe the last five, six years, you know, bodybuilders, people in the fitness community are just open about their use of performance enhancing drugs. Again, in other sports, it's not as forthcoming because of the Olympics and the stigma that's attached to it in general population. But in the fitness industry, we no longer care. And, you know, besides a few mishaps here and there, obviously, most of the people that can, you know, participate in the fitness industry and use performance enhancing drugs, they're really on top of their health. They do frequent blood work. They do frequent organ imaging. Mm -hmm. And they publicize that on the internet. And even though it doesn't fall within general population guidelines, I would say that overall people are healthier or more youthful, more productive, um, in a better mm -hmm. state of health than general population and also sustain their health much longer. I mean, we have 50, 60, yeah. 70 year olds in the bodybuilding community that are in perfect states of health and they use pharmacology um, to get that done. Yeah, and, and look at what Brian Johnson, the founder of Braintree has been doing. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you know, he's a huge advocate in the anti-aging space and he's, he's captivated the public imagination. Yeah. And who would not want to be younger, faster, stronger for longer, right? Shouldn't this be like the fundamental aspiration of humanity? And the reality is that right now, performance medicine, anti-aging medicine is locked up among a kind of quirky Silicon Valley biohacking billionaire class. And mm -hmm. on the other side, this um, uh, you know, uh, bodybuilding community. And what we want to really show the world in a really tangible way, almost like a Sputnik or a man on the moon kind of way, is that when we break the mile, the 100 meter, the 400 meter world record, people are going to say, wow, I, my conceptions have changed, right? The world has changed. Science is real. Science is here to make us stronger and faster and better. And who's going to want to watch the old slow Olympics when you can watch the fast, modern, enhanced games? You know, and I, I worry about the taxpayers in, in, in LA or in Brisbane who, ha, who are subjected to this racket, right? To be stuck with a white elephant where hundreds <laughs> of billions of dollars are going to be wasted. Yeah. No one's going to watch the LA 28 Olympics or the Brisbane 32 Olympics, even if they even happen. Yeah, I mean, the time will tell, of course, if your event really takes off and a lot of athletes are going to make a shift and then the sponsors get on board, then it wouldn't surprise me. You know, then, of course, you know, keeping everything legitimate and then making sure the corruption doesn't move over as people move over. That's going to be the, the biggest. Oh, right, we're the not hardest. taking those people. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll assure you. Not. And, and, and on, the, on the corruption point, you don't see corruption in Formula One. You don't mm. see corruption in baseball and basketball and the NFL. Why? Because these are run like private corporations. Right. Right. If I if I become corrupt, my shareholders, my board of directors are going to excoriate me. Right. However, you know, if the IOC president and his cronies are corrupt, they're, they're accountable to no one. The athletes can't stand up. You know, the, the broadcasters are locked into these decade long contracts and the IOC members. You know what? They're not elected by Olympians. They, they elect themselves. <laughs> right. It's the most unaccountable organization that exists in the entire yeah. world. Yeah. It sounds very, very similar to what happens at the world championships. It's just these people are top, on top and they just elect who they like or who gets you know the bribes in the earliest and it just keeps going and going and going and again none of these officials have ever participated in the sports that they manage um, and that's why they don't even understand what the athletes have to go through the suffering and the determination and the decades of investment even needed to win at the highest level they don't care it's 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 really unfortunate to mm -hmm. see and that's why you see from the world championships all of the elite athletes are just moving over to federations where there's no corruption and no drug testing and none of this nonsense going on mm -hmm. in the background because they're they're tired of it so offering an alternative like you are going to do i think it's it's going to be successful rather fast um and i'm really hoping to see it sooner than later i'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that i have to wait a year and three months <laughs> before it's going to happen <laughs> well you know, it, it takes time to build of these course. things it takes time to build these things but I, i'm i'm very pleased to say that you know, we have the world's top venture capital funds. We have um, media partners. We have um, production partners, venue partners who are all, you know, in various stages of negotiation and signing up to help us bring this event to life. And it's a huge opportunity to take on what I think is the crown jewel of international sports. Um, most sports entrepreneurs, to be honest, aren't ambitious enough. They try and, you know, create, you know, a new version of football or mm. a, a different kind of federation. But no one has ever tried to take on the International Olympic Committee. They've been around for 120 years. They've been corrupt as hell for at least 50 of those years. And no one has ever tried to build a competitor. And I just saw this as such a huge opportunity, you know, and it's like Blockbuster Video is not going to invent Netflix. Right. Uh, the taxi monopoly wasn't going to invent Uber, right? And so someone has to come along who's a disruptor, mm -hmm. who doesn't mind being criticized a little bit. And I, we received our fair share of criticism yeah, in the traditional media. <laughs> yeah. But however, but you know, like, it was interesting, like the Spectator, uh, which is this right wing publication here in Britain, wrote this scathing article, and they invited me to come and debate the, the author. And at the end of that debate, the author was like, Oh, yeah, you know what, I actually agree with you. I think you're right. And I think the enhanced games are going to succeed. And I went on Pierce Morgan, and they, they paid this Olympian to de debate me. You know, we had a, a, a good five minute debate, but by the end of it, he was like, well, you know, okay, the, the performance enhancement thing is bold, but certainly the athlete remuneration side is very mm -hmm. compelling, right? Yeah. It, it, is, it is unfortunate that, our, that excellence is not rewarded in the Olympic system. 
right? It's penalized no. in so many ways. It is. And so it creating is. A, yeah. a more compelling financial system is just really something that is, is so exciting um, on so many levels and will recruit um, the best athletes in the world to our side. Yeah, and I'm sure once you first and, and the second, the, the larger event takes place somewhere in 2025. I mean, once you get those initial events out of the door, a lot of people are going to be on board because they see the potential, they see the potential prize money, the respect for the athletes. Yeah, of course, I mean, money talks, mm -hmm. right? So it's the same thing here at the World Championships, like like the Thai government, for example, they would pay 1 million baht, mm -hmm. so that's about 34, 35,000 baht, uh, sorry, $35,000 for their athletes if they win a gold medal at world championships or other sports, right? A bodybuilding world championships or other sports. And then uh, the Olympic committee started complaining because they only got 1 million baht prize money for a gold medal once every four years. So they retroactively mm -hmm. reduced the prize money to a fourth, 250,000 baht. So then suddenly yeah. the athletes who were thinking about winning prize money of a million baht only got 250,000. And these kinds of things I just hear over and over and over about. But if you have some sort of privatized company that ha manages the prize money for athletes and maybe you can get the public involved with some crowdfunding, right? and maybe you start announcing that in, in you know the first event, the showcase event, I think with crowdfunding mm -hmm. on board, a lot of the athletes can get serious payments and maybe the sponsorships will come later. Right, unless they're already over this roadblock of you know having performance enhancing and drugs involved, because if you look at Lance Armstrong, you know he was sponsored by basically everybody. Right, he was one of the best mm -hmm. in cycling, and then retroactively they wanted their prize money back after he was exposed for using performance enhancing drugs, which basically everybody in the you know Tour de France uses <laughs> performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cycling is okay. Yeah. but this comes back to my original point. Yeah, this is all about truth. We want to restore truth to the world of sports. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Lance Armstrong, Tim Montgomery, Marion Jones are examples of, are really um, present examples of the lie that exists in international sports. And I'm sure we'll get to the Paris Olympics and there'll be doping scandal after doping scandal. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's going to show, show the world that this is a farce, right? And that, you know, some, some academic commentators argue that 99% of Olympians are, have or are, are, are using some kind of banned performance enhancing drug, right? I, I think it's around the 40% number. Um, and that's the, you know, um, a, a report that was uh, in a peer reviewed scientific journal. But ultimately, restoring truth will bring sponsors back. Right. That's is and, and it will drive the economics of this entire equation. And by being open and honest, is what leads to good outcomes. Yeah, luckily every every couple of years there's more sponsors focused on elite athletes, right? Whether those are shoe companies that really focus on elite athletes or bicycle manufacturers or uh, health supplementation manufacturers, they're all interested in an event like this, I would assume, um, because mm -hmm. the athletes that they attach their names to or just attaching your name to the event showcases that their products can actually help uh, beat these, um, you know, uh, Olympic records or, or whatever records you're going to. Oh, 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 this is going to be the greatest marketing platform of all time uh -huh. because about, you know, 15% of the world's GDP is spent on pharmaceutical products oh, yeah. uh, and, and on the healthcare industry. And so what better place to showcase the potential of science than at the enhanced games? You can't showcase the potential of science at the traditional Olympics, but here the use of science and technology is allowed. And, you know, We've had, uh, for example, robotics manufacturers reach out to us and they say, oh, can I build a robot to compete at the enhanced games? And I'm like, mm, <laughs> you can't build a car. <laughs> you can't build a car to run the 100 meters. But if you could build a bipedal uh -huh. humanoid-like robot mm -hmm. that weighed the same as a human, that was as tall as a human, and um, could command itself through full artificial intelligence, I would let it compete. Of course, mm -hmm. it would be a different category: men, right. women, robots. Robots, right? Yeah. Um, and and wouldn't that showcase something very powerful of what it means to be human, mm -hmm. where we're more capable than machines? And to to tell you the truth, uh, a robot today can run a hundred meters. Uh, a humanoid robot can run a hundred meters in about twenty two seconds, which is okay. pathetic. Yeah. Um, and a humanoid robot can't even dream to run the marathon, to do the pommel horse, to do the rings, uh, to swim. And so um, 
you know, there's such an opportunity here for us to showcase new and emerging technologies in an innovative format that is entertaining to the public, i.e. will draw in television viewers, but also is a great sponsorship activation, right? If you're Microsoft or Amazon or Google and you want to show off your latest technology, why don't you do it at the Enhanced Games? Build a robot that has Apple Vision Pro goggles built in that can throw the javelin. It'll be pretty cool. <laughs> that would and be pretty cool. The, yeah. the Olympics is stuck in this ancient rule set that's you know dictated by you know Victorian mentalities, and we're about the future. We're not about Greek gods. We're about superheroes. Talk, talking about the future and having robots compete, um, the topic of transgender athletes is always a very hot topic. Very, very hot topic. Yeah. Most, most of the trans and, uh, transgender athletes use some sort of performance enhancing drugs to masculinize themselves or, or feminize themselves. So would there mm -hmm. be a separate category? Are they even allowed to compete? Like, well, what is your stance on that now? And, and maybe, you know, going forward, will that kind of division or of, you know, competition be included? So that's, that's an interesting question. And as a gay man myself, I thought a lot about this issue. And I know there's a lot of sensitivity about it, particularly uh, to other members of the LGBT community. So I'll use my words very precisely here. So <clears throat> the standard discourse is that trans women, men who have transitioned to uh, a female gender, have an insurmountable biological advantage over cis or biological women. Right. And I accept that proposition. However, trans people in general, as you well noted, use science, they use performance therapies to transform their bodies, and in many ways using amounts of hormones or other uh, supplementation that would get them traditionally banned from sporting competition. Um, and so they are enhanced humans. And the, then the real question is, could a trans woman, who is by definition enhanced, compete against, an, uh, not against a natural biological woman, but an enhanced biological woman? Ah. And that is yet to be seen. And that changes the whole paradigm where cis women who say, oh, I'm disadvantaged because this individual has been able to use science to transform their body, will say, well, you can use science too. So the Enhanced Games always wants to be open as, as a fundamental principle to social, um, social, technological, and scientific change. And the trans issue is only at the very beginning. Yeah. Right? Think about CRISPR DNA editing technology. Mm -hmm. It's real. There are babies being born today who are Gattaca babies. They are, they are edited. And they did not consent to that procedure. Their parents did it to them. There's no way they can change themselves. And in 15 to 20 years time, they're going to want to compete at the Olympics. And under the current rule set, they are insurmountably and permanently enhanced and probably will get banned from competition, despite the fact they did not do this to themselves. And so we are very open to this kind of social, technological, and scientific change, and we want to support it. All right. That's good. That's good. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months and years, you know, as this, this Enhanced Games is uh, coming to a fruition. What, what I'm a little bit worried about is, of course, you're having doctors on board right, for medical supervision. But do you feel that the current medical field is going to um, restrict medical licenses or, or put a cap on how much these doctors can contribute? Because I feel that doctors are very knowledgeable, but they're always limited by their medical certificate, um, you know, through the board of directors and making sure that they stay within the medical guidelines. And that might not be helpful for athletes because the doctors are not willing to lose their medical license. And if they do lose their medical license, then the medical supervision is basically non-existent. And they're like rogue uh, drug gurus, basically like I am. I don't have a medical license to lose, but I do give plenty of advice on how to use these drugs safely. Uh, but that's far beyond, yeah, far beyond, uh, you know, medical oversight or clinical, clinically recognized therapies. And most of the, you know, the athletes, they don't use it for um, a particular medical condition. They use it to improve performance. And the dosages might be substantially higher. Well, uh, 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 this comes to the, uh, yeah, and this comes to a fundamental problem mm -hmm. about the medical industry as we have it today. Mm -hmm. Medicine today is about curing disease. Yeah. It's not about making us better human yeah. beings. And that requires a paradigmatic shift. But however, 
Um, hundreds of athletes have reached out to me since we started the Enhanced Games. They've gone to our website, enhanced.org, which I encourage your listeners and viewers to go and, and Put visit. Put it down below, guys. However, we've had even more, yeah, uh, we've had even more doctors and scientists reach out to us. Okay. So many that I, I haven't even had time to speak with them all, right? And if you go into our community discord, you will see there are dozens and dozens of doctors discussing um, you know, such details that, uh, of science that I can't even comprehend it. Um, and, and, and that's what is exciting, right? And because the, the scientific establishment is very different from the medical establishment. The medical establishment is about curing, treating chronic diseases mm -hmm. in particular. The scientific establishment is about the future, right? It's about fixing problems. It's about advancing our species. And so there's this whole community of performance medicine scientists who really see the potential for making our species better. And we're very excited by to, to advance the body of scientific literature in this space. Okay, that's good. That's good that there's a lot of people in, in this community already on board with that, because what I'm always wondering about is, you know, these people that go through university, they get their medical license, or they, you know, they get into this um, research or scientist level, are they going to be demonized and scrutinized for being on board? But if you already have a lot of people on board, then it's, it's, I guess it's not something to worry about. I'm in touch with many doctors. No, no, they're they're right. not afraid anymore. Before, okay. before we, we launched and announced this, it was, it was very hard mm -hmm. to get, to get athletes in particular, right. to, to sign up, to be on the commission, to, to take on the IOC. But the scientists were like, yeah, great mate. They've been talking <laughs> about this forever. People like professor Julian Savarescu, who's, mm -hmm. um, uh, the chair of bioethics at Oxford University has been arguing for 20 years that there should be a a, a non-tested Olympics. And, you know, we have a, a amazing people, right, from Cambridge, from Oxford, from Harvard, from the world's top universities, um, you know, who are on our, our scientific and ethical advisory commission. Um, and, uh, you know, there there's great support uh, for this um, on so many levels. Man, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, that's what my main concern was, you know, going forward, how, how the medical aspect of this is going to take place, because I was afraid that many people would not be on board. But if there's so many people on board already, then I guess it's not going to be an issue. And these athletes have a body of knowledge that, get, that they can access to make better decisions, because I feel with these drug tested sports, in order to circumnavigate the drug test, a lot of the decisions being made actually get these athletes into a worse state of health. And circumventing and beating the drug test, you know, makes them rely on drugs that have, are, have poor clinical evidence behind it, uh, you know, maybe particular practices that are unhealthy or, uh, you know, using catheters and, and yeah, worse things to pass, uh, you know, the doping. I mean, yeah. I've heard it all. I've seen it all, you know, yeah. to, bad, to pass uh, drug, uh, drug yeah. samples. I mean, there's an there's a interesting documentary called, um, what is it, Icarus on Netflix? Oh yes, yeah, yes. I, I'm a, well. I, I watched. I watched Icarus years years ago. Yeah. Two documentaries: Icarus and mm -hmm. FIFA Uncovered. Ah, Those were the yeah. two documentaries that really inspired me to start the Enhanced Games. I was like, you know, when you have state-sanctioned um, doping programs that uh, you know where hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent, like how can you ever dream that WADA, which only employs about a hundred people, can uh -huh. fight against the Russian, the Chinese, these German governments? Right? It's completely a farce. Yeah. No, it's, and again, it's just there to keep up appearances to legitimize it, legitimize it for the governments that you know put so much money into these games, and then most of the money is ending up in the hands of the officials, not the athletes, <laughs> not the athletes. I mean, that's I, right. I've that's right. I've talked with athletes that had to you know double mortgage their house just to you know get everything in place for them to compete at particular events, and then there's nothing at the finish line besides a gold medal. And and let's be honest, you know the the media will not uh, give you. Uh, you know, the time of day if you get silver. And even if you get a gold medal, you maybe get one or two articles posted about you. You get a warm welcome when you get back to your home country. And that's about it. How to monetize that going forward. Mm -hmm. Many of these athletes can't be, even be on social media because the, the national yeah, team and, doesn't and, allow and, 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 and that's true. And, you know, the, the one, of the most dis one of the most shocking things I've ever learned in my life is, do you know what a bronze medal is called in the Olympic community? No. It's called a loser medal, <laughs> right? And, 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 and imagine that you are the third best athlete in your category for which you have dedicated your entire life to, 
and you get a loser medal and you can't monetize anything, right? Yeah. And I talk to ex-Olympians, people who have chess fulls of metal. And, you know, what are they doing? They're at best a personal trainer at Equinox. Maybe they're a physiotherapist and occasionally like the rowers do well because they went to posh private schools and they end up as, you know, bankers or, you know, salespeople. <laughs> but like your, your run-of-the-mill athlete has given up their, 20, their, their teens and their 20s to become world-class and they're being paid less than a racehorse, right? Yeah. And and let's compare this. Like, why is it that golfers, tennis players, baseball players, basketball players are making so much money, right? Ronaldo makes more money than like all the Olympians combined. <laughs> uh, and why is that? Is sponsors. because he is working within a structure yeah. that is commercial, mm-hmm. not a, a, a structure that is a not-for-profit and that is driven by corruption. And so in a not-for-profit structure, the only way to extract profits is through corruption. In a for-profit structure, there are lots of ways to extract profits, all of which are open, fair, and transparent. And so by by creating our organization as a for-profit, we will eventually give equity to athletes who win medals and make them co-owners of our league and give them the opportunity to ride our success with us in the same way that if you're an early employee at Google or Facebook, you became millionaires or even in some case billionaires. Okay. So that that's that's even better because once the athlete is done competing, they can still be part of board of directors perhaps or, or do some oversight regarding the future of these enhanced games, right? If I'm not mistaken, because they can have a little bit of an insight and and you know, extra words on particular decisions that are being made, similar mm-hmm. similar to how people own a certain amount of stocks well, in your company. Yeah, yeah shareholder company, right? right? So, so no, that's great because most of these athletes at the Olympics or other sports, once their career is over, and let's see, you know, most most guys have a five to ten year career at, at best, and yeah. they might compete in two uh, world uh, world championships or, or sorry, four world championships or two Olympics because they're four years apart. And then the career is kind of over, you know, you, you put your body under so much strain and, and you know, it, the medical supervision, again, it costs a lot of money um, to compete at the highest level, whether that's performance enhancing drugs or health management or just traveling all over the world. It, it, it mm-hmm. takes a huge toll. I mean, my wife competed at the highest level of the world championships. Again, that's physique sports. She did it for five years, never got anything less than a bronze medal, but it's bronze, silver or gold got five gold medals at the world championships and three at Asian. And, you know, afterwards, there's not so much monetization possible because, of course, most athletes leave disgruntled because they, you know, they get stabbed in the back <laughs> eventually. And then you don't mm-hmm. even want to be part of that federation and, and particular, uh, you know, avenue anymore. And even though she's very business savvy and helps me on the back end, you know, when it comes to the fitness part, it's very hard to monetize. And I see nowadays... People who are on uh, social media, Instagram, YouTube, other social media platforms, they're not even competing and they're doing 10 times better than the athletes who do. And if if we can yep. combine both, allow these competitive athletes to really make, you know, their social media uh, presence available for, for everybody in the world, I think they can monetize it so much better through sponsorships and and. You know all these backhand, uh, you know backend deals that can take place when you're an athlete, but you need to allow these athletes to be on social media so they can promote themselves. And I, I don't think you guys have an issue with that. But you know, world champion. No, 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 absolutely. And 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 ultimately, we want our athletes to become celebrities, and we want mm-hmm. them to become rich. Because good. why do little kids um, lionize someone like Ronaldo? Oh, it's a good football player, but you know what? He's got a mansion. He's got a jet. He's got a Bugatti. He's got a million dollar wristwatch. He's got a beautiful girlfriend, right? He's fodder for for the tabloids, right? right. And and that lifestyle is actually just marketing for the sport, right? Yeah. It brings in fans, drives engagement, and so if we have thousands of athletes who are making millions of dollars, right? I'm going to be a very happy. CEO and president of the enhanced games because all of that is just marketing for us, right? And so I want my athletes to be rich. I want them to have mansions and jets, right? Um, because ultimately that, that brings in wider engagement for the entire apparatus. Right. And you're also showing that 10, 15, 20 years from now, all these kids that are now watching these games have an incentive to join in because they know that they're going to be taken care of financially and also from a respect and, and public appearance. Whereas with the Olympic Games, I mean, I think most athletes competing there, 
they realize that there's nothing after it unless you become part of the corrupt, uh, corruption machine, <laughs> which also happens, right? Then you can start pay, getting some checks. But, yeah. you know, with, with privatized, yeah. um, you know, sporting events, most of the athletes, even the lower paying ones, they're still making good money. They're, they're still doing well. And then afterwards, you know, through endorsement yeah. deals and, and, you know, social media presence, they can extend their career well beyond. And again, you, you guys can, every everybody just look at the fitness industry. There's Olympians, like at the Mr. Olympia, who haven't competed for 10, 15, 20 years, still being part of the fitness industry and having their own supplement company, very business savvy. And they're still making money, probably yeah. more than during the time they were competing. But it was a, it was basically like a launching platform competition not not you compete and it's, you're done it's over right? you have to become uh, you know some regular joe back in your home country which happens a lot i mean if you start looking up some of these olympic athletes what they're doing now some of them are just working a you know boring job if they if they invested 10 years of their lives maybe 15 years to get to that highest level there's no payoff it's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And like I, I was an elite cyclist. And not, I wouldn't call it myself elite. I was like a semi-elite cyclist um, in my 20s. And I'm so glad I didn't pursue that. Like my parents said, oh, you know, you better go to university, go get your law degree at Oxford, mm -hmm. go and, you know, make a stable career. But I thought to myself, I was young. I thought, oh, you know, if I win a gold medal, I get to the Tour de France, my life is made. No. Like most people who aren't at the, you know, Lance Armstrong level of cycling after they're done, yeah, you know, they're lucky if they're working in a bike shop, right? Right, And they've given their whole youth to the sporting movement and someone is making a profit and it's not the athletes at the Olympics, it's the bureaucrats. Yeah. And so we need to wildly restructure that system and build something that's better, that's fair, that's honest, and that's real. And the core of that is building a product that consumers want to engage with. And the one thing that we've learned from watching is that we can have all of these debates, right? We can have the debates about the ethics of performance enhancements. We can have the debates about the medical and the scientific procedures. But at the end of the day, consumers want to watch this, I'm, right? I'm 100% Everyone has yeah. told us <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% convinced. So you guys will probably organize some sort of pay-per-view or something on a, on a website where people can watch this, like the Mr. Olympia is a streaming event where you don't even have to go there. Um, this is the highest level of bodybuilding competition. You can just log into the website, buy a, a pay-per-view for the, for the two days that the event is being hosted and watch it anywhere in the world. And usually these uh, streaming events are, are very well done to the point you can just watch it, you know, similar quality as Netflix, like full 1080p. Uh, high definition quality. So will there be something like that to stream the event worldwide? Oh, uh, I can't say the exact particulars, but mm. we are working on a broadcast partnership at the moment mm. with the world's largest broadcasters and streamers. So, uh, you know, this is going to be a highly produced world-class event. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll emphasize, you know, I have a, uh, we haven't really talked about my background, but I have mm. a 20 year career in, in venture capital and private equity. Um, I'm a business person, first and foremost. I'm a problem solver and I'm an entrepreneur. And I would not have embarked upon this project if the end result was, um, you know, a pay-per-view stream online, live on Twitch, okay. right? This is going to be an event that our goal is for 100 million people to watch it. And I want this to be a man on the moon kind of Sputnik moment. It's like, where were you when humanity broke the 100 meter world record the first time that science was unleashed and we proved that science was real and that humanity was even more capable of doing something that we, we hitherto thought was impossible, right? I, and I hope to it be will there be in an person. extraordinary <laughs> moment on television. I hope to be there in person. Uh, I, I probably will go oh, to the first, do, yeah, we'll, first we'll, event, we'll the second event. Because uh, yeah, it's usually around the time that the Mr. Olympia is. It's the end of the year, so I wouldn't. It, it's stupid if I don't go to the same event and extend my stay in the United States. So the, the first one is going to be in the United States. Am I correct? The the yeah, showcase so, event. So, so yeah, so all, almost certainly the first event will be in the United States. You know, we are studying our demographics very closely, following where our followers and our engagement comes from. But the reality is the U.S. is the largest and the deepest market for this. And most likely the event will be hosted in Florida, Texas, or California okay. um, because weather is permitting well at that time of year. So we're in venue negotiations right now. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and it's coming together really well. And so we'll be making those announcements in due course. Okay, please. Uh, whenever you get the announcement, please let me know so I can update it in the YouTube description section because hey, once these videos are live, they're live forever. Um, so people might watch it like yeah. six months from now and then they want to know where the event is. But I'll keep my uh, my audience updated for sure. And then the the main event will be somewhere around the same time as the Summer Olympics in Paris or or will it be on a different uh, timeline? No, no, no. So, so the, the, our, our first event will be in December of yeah. 2024 mm -hmm. after the Paris Olympics. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then subsequently, it will, it will be every year. Um, and and certainly we will be going back to the same host cities uh, and facilities over and over. So the core problem about the Olympics is that they build a dozen stadiums and they throw them away after two weeks. Yeah. And that's extraordinarily wasteful. That's where that's where the, the massive billions of dollars in waste come from. Mm -hmm. And so we are gonna, our full stack games, which will first happen in 2025, will have uh, fewer sports. So no one's interested in curling, no one's interested in break dancing. They're interested in the simple sports, track and field, swimming, mm -hmm. gymnastics, combat sports, and weightlifting. Right. Those are the five core sports. And those can be delivered without any specialist infrastructure. There's no point in building a $300 million cycling velodrome for a sport that no one watches and that virtually <laughs> no one participates in. Yeah. And that's the waste of the Olympic movement. And we're going to prevent that by staying in uh, a small handful of host cities, doing the games annually, and um, focusing on the sports that actually matter in terms of television and social media impact. Right, right. Do you think you'll, once you start really lifting off and, and this, you know, enhanced games become super popular, would you be willing to uh, reuse the old venues designed for the actual Olympics? Right? The old Olympics? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I think, I think you, yeah, you know, you blow some new life into I, these I, events. I, I sincerely think within 10 years, yeah, I, I sincerely think within 10 years, the Olympics won't exist. Right. Wow. Um, every other international multi-sport not-for-profit event has failed. Mm -hmm. um, and there used to be, you know, a dozen cities that would bid to host the Olympics. And now it's basically gone down to zero. So they used to award the games just six years in advance. And mm -hmm. they're so short of host cities that the Brisbane Olympics were hosted, uh, were awarded yeah. 12 years in advance. Right. And, and like, let's be honest, like I'm Australian. Brisbane's a nice city, but it's a second tier Australian city. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, Thomas Bach and, and the, the IOC executive board felt that China and Russia were their saviors, right? China has all of these cities that could host the games or they were willing to throw huge amounts of money and they're not accountable, you know, in a democratic way. But however, the reality is that because of geopolitics, the games can't go back to China. Yeah. You know, if, if the Republicans are in power in the United States, um, they would probably ban the, the Americans from competing at a Chinese Olympics for geopolitical reasons. And that would be like the 1980 Moscow Olympics, just the death of the Olympic movement. And it's very unfortunate because I've been to the Beijing Olympics Park and it's a beautiful area. Of mm -hmm. course, the air quality is abysmal in, in Beijing. I mean, let's be honest, it's not mm -hmm. healthy for the athletes to be there. Um, but it's it's really a shame that they you know erected so many um, you know places to uh, you know participate and, and practice these sports and they're rarely being used. And maybe the national team of, of, of China is using these venues, but not to the extent that the Olympics would. I mean, ideally, you would have the Olympics in the same place every year, and then they can expand the venue um, going forward. I mean, many of the other sporting yeah. events are in the same um, and, and, places and, every year. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, all the other sporting events are, right? <laughs> like you think about like Wimbledon. Wimbledon or right. Grand Slam Tennis in general is such a fantastic event because you have the opportunity um, to rebuild and improve the infrastructure and it gets better and better year on year. Mm. And it's such a fabulous experience. Yeah. Yeah. And the Tour de France is always in France, for example. And there's nothing that comes close to it regarding the interest of the, the public when there's, uh, you know, a tour of, of bicycles somewhere else. So let's just wrap it up then here because we have a little bit of internet connection issues. And I think we've covered most of the topics that we wanted to discuss. Where can people find you? And if they want to get in touch with you, where can, uh, you know, people find your social media accounts and websites and that kind of stuff? Uh, just go to enhance.org. Uh, that's our website. That's very comprehensive and really details everything about us and find us on Twitter at enhance underscore games. Okay. What, what you have your own website as well, right? Do, uh, Dr. Aaron, what is your website? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Uh, AaronDeSouza.com. Okay, perfect. Guys, I'll link everything down below. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, th Dr. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Please keep, uh, keep us updated of the latest developments so I can update the description section. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to this. I'll do my absolute best to come to the first event in December 2024 um, because I want to see these world records broken and then some. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that um, not only will they get broken, but they will be shattered with an event like yours. Absolutely. It's going to be the most extraordinary moment um, to showcase what the human body is capable of. And thank you for your support. Um, and we really look forward to a continued dialogue and seeing meeting you in person when uh, the first games happen. Awesome. Awesome. I'll see you soon. Thanks so much and have a nice day. Take care.